following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Hey, what a privilege it is to get to speak to you guys most weeks. I really appreciate that and chance to hear from you. And hey, we want to be a church that people connect. And so turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. You look good today. Now turn to your second neighbor, the one that was your second choice, for whatever reason, and tell them, you look good too. Yeah, (laughs) okay. All right, no favorites here. Everybody looks good. So we are in a series called World Changers, and this is the second talk. Last week... We looked at the fact that oftentimes the first world we need to change is our world, our own world, and getting set free from some of these things that are holding us back. But once we step into that freedom, now I want to look at this week, we we ask the question, where do I start? Now here I'm free, I've stepped into the freedom of God in my life, now now where do I start? What do I I do? And, And I often ask that question when we're cleaning our house. Because my wife, you know, we, we want, had some people coming over this weekend, and so we cleaned up our house, and I usually clean up the kitchen uh, to varying degrees of standards compared to my wife, whatever she, she thinks. So, But I used to be this way where I would walk into a room, and, you know, especially the kitchen, there's like plates all over the counter, and there's food on the ground, and there's all, of, you know, just dirty. It's a dirty kitchen. And I walk in, because I'm kind of a big picture thinker, I walk in, I see the whole mess, and I feel overwhelmed by the mess and not able to do anything. But my wife taught me something that's been helpful for for me. She said, just start small. Start with cleaning the dishes in the sink, then wipe off the counters, then sweep the floor, and then everything will begin to be cleaner if you take it step by step. So don't look at the whole mess, look at the little mess. And it's oftentimes difficult for us to start, to figure out where to start. So we start small. And I think we can apply that idea to so many different areas of our life. You know, your finances. We, we, our finances seem to be a mess, and we don't know where to start, but we, we start small. Or in my relationships, they, they don't seem to be going the way I want them to, and so where do I start? And so we start small. And so that's what I want to look at this week from the topic uh, is starting small, because we can also get stuck at the start. And we're going to look at the story of Elisha, because I feel like he really gives us some good tips on how to start in our life. What we want to look at is, how do I start in my purpose? How do I start in the calling that God has given me? And so the story we're going to look at today is from Second Kings 3. And there was the king of Israel. So Israel, this nation, it's a nation today, you know of it. It's broken up into two. So there was the southern tribe, the southern kingdom of Israel, which was called Judah, and the northern kingdom of Israel, which was called Israel. And the northern kingdom is run by King Joram, who is not a good guy. He's not a man of faith. The southern kingdom is is ruled by King Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. That's always how I remember his name. And And King Jehoshaphat is a man of faith. And so the King Joram, the, the king of the northern kingdom, he is 
they have this, tri- this other kingdom that's kind of paying tribute to them that they're supporting. But this king rebels, and th- this is the Moab, king of Moab. And so the king of Israel needs to get with the king of Judah, and then he gets another king, king of Edom, and those three kings come together, and they're going to fight against the king of Moab because he's, not, he's rebelling against the king of Israel. So all of this is going on, uh, just trying to set up the context. There, those three armies from those three kingdoms are wandering through the wilderness, and it's in, in Edom, kind of around Edom, and everything is dry, and they start dying of thirst. They, don't, they run out of water. And so they don't know what to do. And the, the king, uh, King Joram, says, what are we to do? I don't know what to do. And so he's all in a, in a you know, just messed up around this. And then King Jehoshaphat says, we should seek the Lord. And one of, another person says, well, there's Elisha here. He's a prophet. And, you know, why don't we go talk to him to seek the Lord about this matter, about what we should do? And so this is where our story picks up. So they're, they kind of roll up in the ancient equivalent of a black Cadillac, but Elisha is not, he's not impressed with them. And so this is what Elisha says. He says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. He wants a soundtrack, an anthem, as he kind of walks in the room and does his thing, you know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Eden and the land was filled with water. The title to my talk today is Ditch the Plain. Ditch the Plain. So we have King Joram here who is this king who is not a king of faith and he doesn't know what to do. And oftentimes in our lives, like I said before, we don't know where to start, what to do. I'm facing this giant mess in my life And I don't know what to do. And so often we see our circumstances, and in the midst of our circumstances, we lose our faith. Reminds me of the story of this woman. It was an elderly woman who was in her house, and she always used to go out in the morning and just was thankful for every day. And she'd raise her hands and she'd say, praise the Lord. And I had a friend, actually, that had a mom like this, where one time he woke up in the morning And he heard his mom yelling, get out, get out, get out of my house. And so he like woke up and jumped up real quick because he thought there was an intruder or burglar or something like this. And so he runs to the the living room and the mom has the door open and there's nobody there. And she's just pointing to the open door, get out, get out of my house. And she says, get out, devil, get out of my house. So he's kind of went, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> but, but there's this woman, so she's raising her hands and saying, praise the Lord. And she's always praying very loudly, and her neighbor is an atheist. And her neighbor always responds, yells back, there is no Lord. There is no God. And so every morning she's saying, praise the Lord. And so he hears her one time, and she's praying, God, praise the Lord, but God, send me some food because I'm starving. And so he hears this, 
And, you know, he, he goes across the street and he says, oh, you don't have any food? And she says, yeah, I'm praying to the Lord for some food. And so she prays throughout the day and on into the night. And then the next day, she gets up in the morning and says, praise the Lord, and starts praying to God for food throughout the day and into the night. And this gives the atheist an idea. So he goes to the grocery store, and he says, I'm going to prove to her that there's no God. And so he goes, and he buys two bags, big bags of groceries. And he says, okay, now when she goes to sleep, I'm going to put those bags of groceries by her door, and when she's going to wake up and she's going to see that, that she's going to think that God brought her food, but I'm going to say, I'm going to jump out of the bushes and say, nope, it was me. It was, I'm actually, you're, there is no God because I bought the food. And so she wakes up the next morning. She comes out to say, praise the Lord. And she sees the food right there. And she's like, praise the, do- the Lord. God did it. He did it. He did it. He got me food. And the, the atheist jumps out of the bushes and says, No, he didn't. I bought that food. You see, there is no God. And the woman thinks for a moment, and she says, Praise the Lord. He bought me food, and he made the devil pay for it. (laughs) You see, oftentimes in our lives, we can look at our circumstances and let our circumstances dictate our faith. But do you have the faith to see God in the midst of your circumstances, to say that I can start with the Lord. That's our first point, that we can start with the Lord. There's no better place to start than to start on your knees, to lead from your knees in prayer in the midst of whatever situation that you're facing. See, faith is a small step. Faith is not a large step. King Jehoshaphat, he believes in the Lord, and they turn to Elisha, and Elisha tells them to start digging in, in, in this place. They don't see any rain They don't see any water around, and yet in the midst of this, he says, pick up your shovel and start digging. That's what what we've got to do in the midst of our circumstances. There's another story of a guy who is praying. He goes to his Baptist church, and he's praying, God, help me win the lottery, because he was really hard on his luck. He needed money, and he didn't have any money, and said, God, help me win the lottery. Lord, you know that I need it, that I'm going to do all these good things. I'm going to live for you. If I win the lottery, I'm going to use all the money to do great things. Day goes by, week goes by, didn't win the lottery. And then he goes to a Presbyterian church, thinking maybe I'll try that. And he prays to God, God, you know my mother is sick because his mother was sick and and not doing well. And so, God, I want to use this money to help heal my mom. And God, I'm going to do all great things with this money. Lord, help me win the lottery. And a day goes by, a week goes by, and he doesn't win the lottery. And then he goes to a Pentecostal church because he thinks, yay, there's more of the Lord there, right? They're Holy Spirit-filled. And so he's praying, God, help me win the lottery. God, I'm going to do all sorts of great things. Lord, help me win the lottery. So he walks out of the church, and the heavens open, and a voice booms from heaven. Would you please buy a ticket? (laughs) See, See, oftentimes we want to pray for things, we want to think for things, but we don't think to take the small step that we need to. I attended the Global Leadership Summit this last week, which is a kind of a video cast thing of, of leaders, and T.D. Jakes, one of the speakers there, talked about eaglets. And eaglet, he, it was an interesting story because eaglets, you know, the, the eagles have them in their nest, and they, they're there to grow, and then they hatch, 
and they, they grow a little bit. And then they reach a certain point where the mother kicks them out of the nest. Maybe some of you are thinking about your kids. It's time for them to leave the nest. But they, they want the, the, the eaglets want to stay in the nest, but the mother wants to kick them out of the nest because the mother, being older and wiser, knows that if they stay in the nest, they're going to grow weak and they're going to die. That the nest, although it started as a place of nurture and a place of, of love, it can end as a place of death. And so what the mother does is she, she, ma- she put, starts putting barbs and sticks and making the nest not comfortable anymore, and she kicks the eaglets out of the nest. Now, the eaglets can choose to stay in the nest, which looks like a comfortable place, even though it's being made more and more uncomfortable, or they can choose to face this fall, which seems like certain death to them. And so they, take this, they have to take this step, and the mother kind of pushes them off, and when they first start falling, they, they don't know how to fly. They're just this trying not to die. And as they're falling, they start flapping their wings. You know, like, not very good at first. But then it starts being a, a flying motion, and the eaglets start learning how to fly. See, I think that that's true for us, too. So many times, our lives and our, our circumstances can look like the nest. And it looks like the safe place. What we don't realize is that's the place, actually, where we could die if we remain. And stepping out looks dangerous because faith requires falling. You see, faith requires failure sometimes. The road to success is paved with failure. And there's times when we've got to take a small step to be able to see what God wants to do in our lives. And so God tells Elisha to, uh, to go out or start to go out and to tell these people to dig ditches. He's telling, he goes out and he says, make this valley full of ditches. And I, I, I'm see, can I, I went to the Google Maps and I looked at what that area would have looked like. And there's mountains and there's valleys, but the valleys are kind of really wide and they look like a plain. And so he's telling people to dig ditches in this kind of this plain that they have that's lying out before them, a flat space. And I can hear Elisha telling them to ditch the plain. In other words, make ditches in this plain. And he's telling these people to, to dig ditches and to see what can happen. You see, what he was saying to these people is build a container, a faith container. We said start with the Lord, said faith is a small step, and then build a faith container. See, we've got to go out and build something that God can fill. We've got to not look at our circumstances and, and let our circumstances dictate our faith. And we've got to take a small step. But that's, what, what does that small step look like? It looks like building something that is a container for God to fill. God told Noah to build a ship, and the ship was his container that God would fill. But what does that mean for you and me? I'm going to give you another story. Uh, a woman I met while I was at the Global Leadership Summit, she was just a stay-at-home mom, just kind of doing the regular stay-at-home mom thing, taking care of the, the house and the kids and but she heard about these kids on this trail, these youth on, the tra- on a trail, that they had run away from home. Some of them were homeless. Others of them were going out there to do drugs. And they were just kind of left and forgotten by a lot of the world. But she went out there, and she took them. Uh, she went to a donut shop, and she got them a day-old box of donuts, and she brought these donuts to these kids. Well, she started really doing that regularly and bringing donuts to these kids. And... As she continued to do that, 
other people found out about it, and they started donating food and donating drinks, and they started helping her bring this thing. And so it ended up being three moms that were, that were doing this. And it was over the kind of the spring and summer months, and as they, they kept going, then they realized it started getting cooler. And they realized they needed to bring these kids indoors, where they could minister to these kids indoors. And so they worked with one of the moms who had some grant writing experience, and they wrote a grant, the first grant they'd ever written, and they, they ended up getting money and starting this, uh, get, renting a space, kind of starting this coffee shop. And while they were there, then uh, they said, okay, well now we need to fill it with the machine. Like, we need to actually have the stuff. So they reached out to another person who had a connection with a, a coffee company, and this coffee company came and toured and heard the vision of what they're trying to do and ended up donating $18,000 coffee machine to this place and giving them a, a, a coffee grinders and other things that totaled almost $20,000. And then they, they started to grow that more, and more people started donating, and more people started helping. And soon, they were off and running and had a full coffee shop where they were ministering to these kids, teaching them job skills and life skills, and helping them be, get out of the situation that they were in. And now, they're thinking about writing a grant for a food truck to try to bring their model to other cities and other communities. See, her faith container was a day-old donut box. She took something simple and took a small step of faith to believe that God would fill it. You see, there, this is the, the thing that we need to do. We need to build a faith container. Our staff, we're writing job descriptions for different volunteer positions because we want to pray and believe that God wants to fill some of these positions with more people that will volunteer so we can do more ministry, so we can reach more people in our church. For me personally, I'm believing that God wants me to start a nonprofit alongside this church. So I'd love to start a nonprofit helping to teach life skills and mentor future leaders and see things happen. And we want to do a mission trip to Ecuador next summer. So we want to see that happen. And so we're believing God for these things and we're writing descriptions and we're praying and we're believing that God wants to fill these faith containers because God wants to do some amazing things. You see, we have big dreams, but big dreams require small steps. Maybe you want to have a great faith, big dream, but you realize you can't have a great faith overnight. And so you're going to start with praying 10 minutes a day. So that's a small step. Or maybe there's a broken relationship that needs healing, and you know you can't do that overnight, but you're going to write a letter to apologize. That's a small step. Maybe you want to see God, you want to live in God's grander vision for your life, and that's a big dream, but you are going to start with serving and beginning to, to see, uh, see your gifts that God has. That's a small step that we can all take. You see, if a, a big dream without a small step is just a daydream. God wants to see big dreams happen. Like we said last week, he wants to see us do greater things. God wants to answer our prayers, but he doesn't want to enable our complacency. He wants to empower us in our calling. And so we've got to take some small steps. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. He's talking about the seed of faith, that God will make it grow. You see, we've got to dig some soil, we've got to create a ditch, and, be and begin to plant, and begin to sow, and invest 
into people, begin to follow our dreams, follow our, step, our, our dreams with little steps. But God is going to be the one to make it grow. And so if we really believe that God is a God of abundance, the God who wants to do amazing things, then we've got to start digging more ditches that he can fill. We've got to start digging deeper ditches that he can fill. We've got to get the heavy equipment on site, moving dirt, making preparations, doing all sorts of things because God doesn't want to call us to small things. He didn't say, I want you to do smaller things. He said, I want you to do greater things. And greater things requires a small step. See, we've got to follow that. And maybe for you, doing, digging a ditch means like you want, a, you want a better job. And so getting a better job means putting yourself in places where you can meet people to get a job. Maybe your finances are a mess, and you want to start digging a ditch in your finances. And so that means beginning to look at your budget and beginning to keep a budget and beginning to put yourself out there for different opportunities to make money in different ways. I, had, I knew a woman, she used to make holiday Christmas bas- baskets or Easter baskets on top of her um, full-time job. And so she, she dug a ditch of saying, hey, here, I, I, I'm good at making Christmas baskets or baskets. I like to do that type of thing. So she did it and she sold it and she started making a lot of money doing it, doing these Christmas and, and Easter baskets. Whatever that is, what, what, is the, what is your ditch? What is the ditch God is calling you to dig so that he can fill it? See, just take a next right step. Whatever your next right step is, just take that in, in faith and believe that God wants to fill it. I want to look at a second passage from the next chapter, 2 Kings 4, which comes after 2 Kings 3, said the deep things that the pastor says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small, small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, the woman said, I didn't have anything. And then I imagine her thinking for a moment and saying, Except a small, small jar of oil. That's all I have. Just a small jar of oil. And, and you think about the situation. This woman is starving, and she's broke, and her sons are about to go into slavery. Like, your situation can't get much worse. And yet Elisha comes in, and he asks her, what do you have? So he flips the script, and she's saying, you help me. And now he's saying, no, you help me. You help me with something. You give me something. And a lot of times, we think we don't have anything. We don't have anything to give. You know, my circumstances are not right, or I'm too busy, or I, I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough time, or I don't have the right ability, or I don't have enough, and, and we're always saying, I don't have enough things. I don't have anything that, that I need, and, and I see singles who say, I want to meet a man, or I, I want to meet a woman, and, and yet 
they go to work, come home, and that's all they do. Oftentimes, maybe we can't meet the right person, but it doesn't take anything for us to start being the right person. We can work on that. We don't have to have the situation just right. We can be the right person at any time. Or, or you can start putting yourself in the right place where you can meeting people. You can start, put the TV remote down, iron your shirt, put some hair product in your hair, wear some perfume and cologne, and get out there and make yourself known. Get out there and, and sign up for a club or something. You see, the, while I was at the Global Leadership Summit, they were talking about the Wright brothers. And it was a really interesting story because the Wright brothers, they didn't graduate high school. They never got their diploma. They didn't have a lot of money, um, but they, they knew bikes. They liked bikes, so they started building bikes. And they understood bikes because of balance and having to, to kind of keep things going there. And so they took that because they started learning about flight and things in flight. And so and they saw all these other people doing it that couldn't figure it out. But the Wright brothers, because they had some experience, because they had some faith and wanting to see things happen, they started developing the, a controlled airplane. And there was never been kind of a, a, a fixed-wing controlled airplane before. But they started developing that. See, the Wright brothers, they, they could have said that the conditions weren't right. We, didn't, we don't have what it takes. There's all these other people that have more money, that have more education. We didn't even graduate high school. And yet, in the midst of their situation, they were the first people to invent a fixed-wing controlled aircraft. There was other people that had done gliders, but nobody that had ever done something that you could control. And they were the first ones to do that because they kept taking small steps of faith to believe that God wanted to do something great for them. And this last one, <coughs> I think, or this next one really is something that's a little bit counterintuitive. So I'm, I'm talking about how even when we have, don't have a lot of stuff, we've got, we got to focus on what we do have. And, and, and this one I want to say is embrace your limitations. Because look at, you look at the army. The army didn't probably have shovels, right? They didn't have shovels. Uh, this woman, she just had a jar. She said, all I have to bring you is a jar. And that's what, what Elisha took and was able to make a difference with. See, I had a friend who was, was out of work. He was let go from his company because they were laying off people and so he didn't have a job, and he didn't have a lot of money. And he really could have focused on that. But instead of focusing on that, he focused on the fact that, yes, I don't have those things, but what I do have is I have a lot of time now. And so he started serving at the church uh, that, that I was at before. And he started serving and serving and being involved in groups and being involved in, in the, on Sunday mornings and greeting. And he was hel- helping to coach his son's soccer team and he was doing all sorts of things in the community. And time went by, and months and months and months went by, and he didn't, couldn't provide for his family, and so his wife had to start her business, and, and she was selling clothes and getting things going. And you should say, well, maybe he should have been looking for a job. Well, he was looking for a job, but he was also using his extra time to say, now I can serve, now I can get involved. Oftentimes, when we look at our situation, we don't see... What, what we don't have, and what we, what we do have. But we need to define reality in the situation to say, what do I have? Well, after several months, up to almost to a year, because the guy was serving in the church, 
he met a woman that was higher up at Costco, and she helped get him a job that was ma- he was making more money than he was before. You see, when we take a step of faith and say, what don't I have? I have these certain limitations, but also that helps us to realize what we do have, and then to give that to God, and God can take what that little is, and he can do a lot with it. See, God took that jar. That jar was that woman's accept. I have, don't have anything except a small jar of oil. And he did an exceptional miracle with that jar. He was able to see that. But also, you listen to the story, and not only did that woman have one jar of her oil, her own oil, but she also had other jars. She, she, because they went out and they asked others. They asked others to give them stuff too to be able to help them. And so often in our pride, we don't want to ask others for help. We don't want to ask them because we're afraid of no. I want you to do this again. Turn to your neighbor and, and, and say, will you help me? Will you help me? Now, respond back to them, no. Now, did anybody just have a heart attack? Anybody? Did anybody have a stroke? No? Nobody died? Wow, so no won't kill you? Okay, well then maybe we should do some things where people can say no to us more. Because on the other side of the no is at least you know that's not an opportunity, but that's given you direction to know where to go. And so um, I've kind of experienced this before. I think um, I was not feeling well one time when I was in seminary, and I had a stomachache, like a bad stomachache. And so... I was kind of by myself. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I didn't want to call the ambulance for myself because how do you do that? How do you, like, hey, I'm just going to be here writhing on the floor in pain. Can you come by and pick me up? Um, so I drove myself to the hospital, which was a relaxing drive, really. Um, as, you know, hey, merge, everybody come in. You know, yeah, you first. You can go. I'm just, I'm imploding. That's all. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I got to the hospital, right? And, and there, were, um, there was no valet driver. Like, is that not the biggest oversight in history that there's no valet driver at the hospital, right? Because it's like, hey, just run in. So, um, like, even if you're driving somebody that's to the hospital, you know, like, you still want them to, you still want to run in with them. It's like driving up to the hospital and, you know, like, go inside. Yeah, go check in. Tell them you're shot, you know, and you keep going. And so I, I went to go park. And uh, went and parked, and then went to the hospital to check myself in, have them look at my stomach, and uh, got in, and then I, I went getting in this, in this room, and, and the nurse asks me this really condescending question, how, how, do you, how, how, how does it seem to be? I said, well, it seems to be that my stomach is really, really hurting. I feel like, go get me some aspirin or something. And uh, so I go in, and she says, well, well, how would you rate your pain? And I said you know, two thumbs up, you know, really good, my pain. Um, and, then, uh, and then we go in, and she asks me, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? And so I, I, t- I say, you know, I was thinking, if I said ten, like, if, how would that be? Because I heard that the worst is, like, getting your femur broken, you know, like, so, so it couldn't be ten, but then I was like, why am I worried? Because is there, like, somebody that's going to come in, like, who has the audacity to say ten? Ten pain, like, I'm going to break your femur. And uh, so I said, okay, I can't say ten. And so what about nine? Well, childbirth is nine, so, like, I can't do nine. But, like, because, you know, 
It must be hell to have, like, your, be, have your femur broken while you're giving birth to a child. Like, that must be really hard. Um, so, uh, so I walk in and, like, what am I worried about here? And I think that's oftentimes what we worry about. What are we so worried about, really, when we ask people for something or when we, we voice a need for help? What, what are we worried about, that people are going to come and say no to us and we're going to keel over and die? No, it's, it's in our pride that we've got to get beyond ourselves and be able to ask for help because God wants to be our help. He wants to be our ever-present help in times of need. He wants, but he also doesn't just want him. He wants to work through people to be able to help us. See, how often is God's goodness limited only by, by what we bring God, by what we, we come forward in faith to say that we want help with? In, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 11, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. You see, the woman only had a small jar to give. Maybe what God wants us to give is that we are jars of clay. We are empty jars. And say, God, I'm feeling empty. I'm feeling broken. But God, here is the empty jar of my life. Lord, do something with it. Pour your power in this jar, God. Pour your, your kindness. Pour your mercy. Pour your love. Pour your grace. Because as we, God fills us up, we can begin to pour out into a world of need, and we're not giving out of our poverty, but we're giving out of the abundance that God has poured in our life. So we've got to keep pouring. We've got to keep pouring grace. We've got to keep pouring love. We've got to keep pouring mercy. We've got to keep pouring kindness. We've got to keep pouring. And I'm going to say we've got to keep pouring until, no, until time ends that we would follow a God that doesn't leave us empty, but we would follow a God that will fill us up and continue to refill us over and over again as long as we bring the empty jar of our lives to him and saying, God, use me for your work. Use me for your calling. God, you are the power in my life. God, that's what God wants to be for us. He wants to be the one that can change your life. If you'd like prayer this morning, we have a prayer team that's gonna come up over here on the corner and then you can receive prayer. Uh, like I said, if you wanna pass out the, the connection cards and the giving envelopes are, in back, are back there. But I would pray that you would take this message and to say, God, what are you calling me? How, how can I start small? What's the ditch you're calling me to dig that I might experience your change in my life.